read Genesis 1, 24 to 28. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And from Psalm 27, verses 1 through 5. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Thank you, Jen. Um, this, this morning, um, our, we're beginning a new sermon series um, on community. On community. Everybody say that word, community. community. There you go. Good. Community. Um, it's called Community in God's Image is the name of the series, and it's running in tandem with our adult Sunday school, which began today. Um, and if you didn't come today, that's okay. You can come next week. Uh, in adult Sunday school, we're going to be uh, looking at Ed's book, uh, Ed Welsh's book, Caring for One Another, uh, Eight Ways to Cultivate Meaning Relationships. Uh, so we're kind of, you see what we're trying to do there, right? We're trying to, trying to talk about community and then in the adult Sunday school get real practical. Well, how does that, how does that work? Um, so I invite you to, to attend that um, at 9 o'clock. Um, and in addition, if you've been with us in this past year, um, we've been focusing on community building. So we're going to continue in the new year to have uh, after-church luncheons about twice a month. We have our first one next week. Uh, sign up went out last night. Go ahead and sign up. Um, and we're also going to, several of our households are going to continue to host what we're calling supper sessions, which is just a fancy way of saying having a meal together. Um, so we're, we're continuing to press in and, and try to have, and build community together. Why? Um, most of you have some idea about why we would try to do that. Um, there's, a, there's a litany of reasons. Uh, coming out of COVID, there's still a sense in which people are disconnected. Uh, and because, right, community and relationships are not a switch that you flip on and off. Um, they're, more like, uh, they're more like gardens, right, that you have to attend to. And what COVID did, of course, was leave the garden of community rather unattended. Zoom is not a good miracle grow, right? It doesn't work well for community. So we're trying to, to, to tend that garden together. Um, and also, 
COVID aside, I think over the last 10 years, there's been a significant number of, of social and political events that, that have left people um, feeling disconnected in one way or another. Well, I'll just put that sort of generally, right? Um, and, and I think my experience in talking to you all, and, and I hope this is somewhat of your experience, is that there's generally two camps in particular when it comes to the church, reflecting on how the last 10 years or so have gone. Um, there, are, there are many of you that are, that are experiencing some level of disillusionment with the church. Uh, you're wondering about, is this thing we call church viable? Uh, because of what you've seen other Christians do. Um, there's, an, there's another group, and so there's a spectrum here, who, who in response to the past 10 years are, are having sort of the opposite reaction. Your, your sense is, I'm seeing what's happening in our country, and I want to double down on the church is the fortress against everything that seems to be going wrong. Um, and the, the joyful, delightful thing is that you all, those two groups of people are in the same church together. Isn't that wonderful? Um, and, 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 I, and I imagine that part of what happens is each of those groups kind of look at the other somewhat suspiciously. Uh, the double downers are like, you're disillusioned? This is the only hope. And the disillusioned folks are like, you're doubling down? Are you out of your mind? Have you seen what's been going on, right? Um, and so I, I'm speaking broadly, and I know there's a spectrum in between. Um, but, but, but and, and, and I should say, what I'm not trying to do is now set you up to say, and I'm going to show you now how you're all wrong in the sermon series. Um, that's not the idea. Uh, the, the idea is more that, hey, it's really good for us as a community to recognize where we are, um, to not be afraid of naming that, um, and then to meet each other there and then walk together where God is leading us. Um, so uh, so here's, here's the hope, right? If you're new to the church, if maybe you're a new Christian, um, we certainly hope that the series will be an invitation to the beauty of the community that's formed by following Christ. If you're in one of those two general categories or you know something about that in your life, we hope that this series will, will meet you where you are and demonstrate to you who the church is when it reflects Jesus. So, so where do we begin? Well, we, we begin this morning, um, and you see, you see the three headings that I have for you in your outline um, this is a beginning point, a foundational uh, point. The church community begins with this truth. God desires to be known. Uh, what do we know about God? What's one thing we can know about him? He is beautiful. And when we seek to know the beautiful one, we begin to become a beautiful community ourselves. So, so um, let's, let's think first about this first point here, um, and, and thinking about Genesis, the, the first scripture that Jen read for us. Um, Genesis, that, that early part of Genesis should be familiar to you all um, if you've been in church for a little while. Um, and even if you're not, generally speaking, a lot of folks will know, oh, Genesis 1, I kind of know what the Bible says about, about the creation. Um, Genesis tells us many important truths, but one that sort of seems so obvious we don't often say it uh, is that it tells us that God wants to be known. So think about that for a moment. Um, that God, we hear that God created all things, the story of creation, and that story was written to Israel to orient the people of Israel to reality, to know that, oh, creation is made by God. Um, and, and so creation itself then is God's way of disclosing himself. 
It's self-disclosure. God made creation so that people would know about him. Uh, God made it and he called it good. So we get an idea when we look at creation about what God calls good. Uh, and, and, and the scriptures testify to this, right? So Psalm 19, uh, the heavens declare that creation, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Uh, night after night, they reveal knowledge. Creation tells us about God. And so God is saying in creation, know me, know who I am. Um, and sometimes very explicitly, like in the story of, of the epiphany we, we thought about um, and when we first started uh, this morning, uh, God uses a star, uh, literally uses a star to say, know where I am and who I am, right? God, creation is saying God desires to be known. Um, what, what else do we learn in that little Genesis snippet that we read? Uh, we learn that God makes humans in his image, which, which means lots of things. We'll have a, I'll say more about that next week. Um, but one thing it, t- it does tell us, think about this, is that God intends that each person, here's something that's true about you, uh, each person in your personality, yes, in your personality, in, in your physical body, um, in, in the activity of your mind, in the things that you create, in the way that you steward creation, God intends that all of that about you is a reflection of him. Um, you're a means of, of showing other people who God is. God created a bunch of tiny little mirrors, which is, that's kind of a stunning, weighty thing to think about as your life, right? But why else would he put, make you in his image? He wants to be known, and you're a means. You are not God. Let's just make that clear, in case you were confused. I'm not saying that you're a God, but that you reflect, you show something about God. So creation says, God says, know me in creation. Humanity, God says, know me. Um, And then, of course, God desires not just to sort of be known in a factual way, but he he desires to be known in relationship. Um, And this is, so the text itself, right, the scripture that we read, it's it's one of, it's why we have sort of a foundational um, commitment to scripture, is that scripture, in scripture we hear from God, that he wants to be known intimately. Um, It's not just a gathering of facts, as I said. Uh, If you just know um, my height and my weight and my my ethnic background and my race and maybe even my job and maybe my income, uh, you know a few things about me, but you don't know me particularly well. I mean, you know a few, right? And and God, in the same way, um, if you can list off a couple things about him, uh, that's not the kind of knowledge that God is talking about. Knowledge in scripture is always more intimate. And so what we see in scripture is this unfolding story of creation and fall and redemption, and it's one of a God who isn't just casually interested in you knowing him. He is zealous. He desires an intimate covenantal relationship with all people. Uh, Jeremiah 31, listen to what God says. He says, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. This is how God wants to be known. I will put my law in their minds. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor to say, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. God wants all people to know him. God's desire is that you know him. 
Um, so what, 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 are we, what are we saying? What does this mean? Um, what, when I first began taking classes in the, in the urban studies department in college, um, I am a lowly urban studies major, which is one of those majors where it's like you've got like one or two jobs and then everything else doesn't really apply, you know, um, which actually is probably most degrees at this point. But um, uh, urban studies. So one of the first simple ideas that, that dawned on me as in my urban studies uh, uh, studies is that um, there's a simple truth that, that cities and communities are shaped by certain ideas and values. Did you know that? Like the, the Glenside, uh, Montgomery County, Philadelphia, they don't just sort of unfold, they're not built randomly, which strikes you as, yeah, that makes sense, right? But there's an idea, there's something that gives shape to the way that communities are made. Um, and that one of those things at a basic level is how a community gets around will shape the way it's built, right? What sets a community in motion will shape the way it's built. So I have, if you're kind of struggling to grasp what I'm saying, I have a couple of visuals here to help us. So um, you can put that first one up, Adriel. Good. Um, well, this was, shoot, I gave the wrong order. That's okay. So um, what, what is the mode of transportation primarily for this kind of space? Walking, walking. Somebody said something else over here. What, foot, okay, foot. All right, we'll give you that, Lawrence, good. Um, foot, yeah. Notice that it is built and it's shaped around people walking, right? Um, everything about it says uh, a car doesn't belong here, people can belong here. Um, and that's the way it's built, right? That's the, that's the shape of it. Uh, and it has a certain closeness to it, right? We don't like to walk far. Um, it has a certain lack of just sort of uniformity everywhere, right? That's not a street you want to drive on. There's things that fill all the space. There's not vast open areas, right? All, everything about that says this is a place to walk. It's built with that idea in mind. You guys tracking with me? Right, okay, so converse with, with what the next picture looks like. Okay, main mode of transportation here. The car, right? And this is very familiar to us, particularly in Montgomery County. This is a place that is not built for people. I don't mean that to denigrate it, um, maybe a little bit, but it's, that is not a place you want to be not in a car, right? That is built and designed for the car, large, concrete, wide open spaces, tons of parking, you're not close to people, right? Your, the assumption is you can move in a car wherever you are. Um, so th th these ideas shape the way these places are built, and of course, if you want to get you know, deep into it, where the money flows, right? <laughs> All those sorts of things build, build our communities, these ideas. Thank you, Adriel, you can take that down. So, so that now let's, let's go back and apply the logic of what we just said about God desires to be known. Um, the logic of motion in the cosmos is that God desires that you know him. That's, that's the idea upon which the cosmos are to be built. There are roadways and pathways and walkways and infrastructure so that you can know the living God. And so, so think about then how that comes down to the, the community of faith right here in our midst. If that is the idea that shapes who we are as a community, if you, if you come to our community and you're suffering, if suffering is overwhelming your life, um, you, you might be a person who has a sense that, that God doesn't want to be known or that God is distant from you or he's hidden or he's forsaken you. 
And so the kind of pathways that should be formed in our community are ones where people who are suffering can find rest and can encounter the still small voice of God. meaning we shouldn't be like built like a highway. There should be pathways in our community. Uh, this is an extended metaphor, right? So follow me. We're not actually building roads, right? There are, there are ways and means within this community where a suffering per- person has space to hear the voice of God say, I love you and I see you and I want to bring healing into your life. And also then, if, you, if you're here this morning and you're a sinner and you know yourself to be a sinner, um, this, the, the community of God is for people who, who daily wrestle with and fall into the lie that life begins and ends with your own desires and judgments. And so, so the community of believers should be shaped in a way that, that we encounter God's word to us again and again, that, that there's a truth greater than ourselves, that God has a way for us to live, um, and that we can encounter conviction and forgiveness. Those are the kinds of pathways that should be a part of our our community. Because God wants to be known. And God wants to draw both the sufferer and the sinner to himself. We hope to kind of, this is what we're hoping to tease out more in this series, these sorts of things. God desires to be known. So if God desires to be known, that, that sets the faith community in motion. But if we leave it at that, Um, If it's just about God desiring to be known, you can imagine a kind of community that is set in motion by that glorious truth might sort of devolve then into something like a religious competition. Um, If if it's only based on the fact that God wants to be known. Uh, Does this sound familiar? Uh, A a religious community in which people take a lot of pride that they know God better than other people. Um, Or a religious community in which a church sort of has a sense of pride that they've arrived at the right answers. We are the right denomination. We figured it out. Uh, if, that's all, if, 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 faith is, if the faith community is just about God wants to be known, if we leave it there, we will descend into religious competition. Um, can I get a witness? Is anybody tracking with me on that? You know that religious, religious groups can fall into that. Okay, thank you. We, we can get there, right? And that's not the community shaped after Jesus. Um, so, so the shape of the community has to be has to be filled with the knowledge of God that's revealed in Scripture. And when we turn to the God who desires to be known, one thing we learn about him in Scripture is that he is beautiful. He is beautiful. Um, scripture shows many attributes of God uh, that we can look to. Uh, the Lord, of course, is holy. God is love. Um, why beautiful? Why choose that? Uh, it, so it's, it's good and right for us to be contextual. And that in this here, I'll just leave it at this. I believe that in this cultural moment, in this time and place, um, for those outside the church, for our own children within the church, um, the witness of the beauty of God is a good one for us to proclaim here and now. Amen? The beauty of the Lord. I want our children to be enraptured by the beauty of God. Right? Don't we want that? Don't we want that? Amen? And so, so let's think, what does a beautiful, what is be- God's beauty, how does it shape us as a community? Um, first, let, let, me just, let me just assure you that, uh, that, that the, the scriptures do in fact des- describe the Lord as beautiful. Um, Isaiah 63, 15, 
look, uh, look down from heaven, this is Isaiah, asking the Lord, praying to him, look down from heaven and see from your holy and beautiful habitation. Uh, God dwells in beauty. His habitation is holy and beautiful. Uh, and, and one more place, um, as you heard read um, uh, already, Psalm 27, uh, verse four. One thing I have asked for the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And here's something I've just, I just, you know, you just skip. Scripture's so rich, you just skip over parts of it. And listen to this, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. God dwells in beauty and he is, scripture tells us he is himself beautiful. Um, now, it still can feel a little slippery, right? Because you might be thinking, um, beauty seems rather subjective. Uh, so so let's, let's say a little bit more about beauty. Um, and I'm, and I'm going to, I'm conscious of where we are. So I'm going to sort of move quickly here, right? Um, and, and you can pick up the pieces uh, um, in, your own, in your own endeavors afterward, right? So um, we're going we're gonna to look real quick. 13th century, right? Thomas Aquinas, super smart guy, did a lot of great stuff for the church. Um, he's a saint in the Catholic church. He brought together philosophy and Christian belief in a way that kind of still impacts us today. Um, and he looked at, God, at Christ and he, and he identified three sort of characteristics of the beauty of God. Um, and he put them into three categories, and we can put them like this, uh, perfection, proportion, and pleasure. Okay, so God's beauty, let's, let's make it a little less slippery, because everybody here would define beauty differently. But what, what is specific about the beauty of, of God? Perfection. Um, Anne warned me that perfection is a bit of a, is a slippery word even in itself, right? Um, so what, what do we mean when we say perfection? Of course we mean that God is without error, God is without flaw, but, but what Aquinas points at is not only that, but he has a perfection that has room for scars. So it's a, it's a mysterious perfection in that if you consider the risen Jesus, gloriously risen, and what do we know about his body? He bears the scars of crucifixion. So, so he's, he's perfect in that way. In the same way that if you've, had, if, you've ever, if you've had children and you've had the privilege of holding your newborn child, um, a parent will say, he or she is perfect. What they don't mean, of course, is that they will never make a mistake. Right? But, but there is, there's a right fitness about the child. Um, God, this is the idea, kind of, it's pointing to the idea of God's beauty. Um, it's, it's proportionate. Uh, the beauty of God has proportion. It does, doesn't mean uniformity, but it's, it's proportion, it's unity and diversity. Right? So if you think about the, the Trinity, for example, there's, there's proportion there. There's three and one and one and three. Um, God's beauty is proportionate. Um, and, and, and part of that, too, is in, we see in the work of God, he brings harmony where there's disharmony. Right? He brings order out of chaos. He brings shalom into the world. Um, so perfection, proportion, um, and then finally, and this is sort of the one that, that ties it all together, um, pleasure. Uh, beauty is experiential. Beauty delights us. Uh, think about how God in the creation story, he delights in what he made. He says, it's good. He delights in what he made. Um, at the end of each day, he looks back and he says, and it gives him pleasure. Um, and so all these things tie together 
the, the perfection, the, perfor- the proportion, they tie together in this pleasure. Now, again, God bless you. Uh, again, um, that could seem even, the pleasure could seem even a matter of personal preference, right? Um, so some of you will enjoy pickles and, and others will wisely turn away, right? Um, <laughs> pleasure um, is even subjective too. So what do we mean by the pleasure of beauty? Erwin um, uh, Ince Jr. Uh, in his book, uh, The Beautiful Community, he says that, that God's beauty is the kind of beauty that when we gaze at it, um, it doesn't serve our own interests. Um, it's marked by we are decentered and we delight in, in another. Um, here's another way of saying it. Rather than drawing the beautiful object into the orbit of my concerns, I am drawn into it. That's the beauty of God. I, I leave my appetites and I become sort of drawn into another. Uh, I, I've had this experience recently. Uh, here's something I'd highly recommend is, is uh, if you want to go on, a, on an excellent walk through nature, um, call up Matt Hartwell, who I don't know if he's here. Um, yeah, I, don't, I don't see him here. I, I, if you, if here's, here's you want a pleasurable experience of beauty, take a walk through Pennypack with Matt Hartwell. Um, it is incredible because Matt is deeply knowledgeable about how creation, how the w- nature works, um, and he delights in it. And, and so I recently went on a walk through Pennypack with Matt, um, and I experienced, I experienced him talking about how the creation around us was working and awe at the same time. He talked about how, how much work it takes for a tree to create a leaf, something I'd never, you know, never even thought about before, um, and we were sort of in amazement at the same time. And this is, this is the kind of beauty that God has. I didn't leave that walk thinking, wow, I'm, I'm pretty incredible for, for that walk I just took. I left, right, I left involved in, I left, I was, the beauty was outside myself. I was drawn into it. Um, it drew me out. So a community that's colored by the beauty of God means that, that we gather as those who are captivated by someone far greater than ourselves. There's something more compelling and good and powerful in the cosmos than my own interests. If you, do, if you don't believe that, I hope you would at least want that to be true. There is something more beautiful and compelling in the cosmos than your own interests and appetites. A community shaped by each, uh, by, by each of us looking to our own interests or even at one another first to save each other and heal each other. That is a lost community. That is even a dangerous community. Um, we will resemble something closer to the concrete freeway. It is not a safe community for humans. Uh, So um, I, I think it's important uh, as a way of closing that I don't leave you with something that feels overly abstract. Um, so I want to end by collectively just walking you through an experience of gazing upon the beauty of God um, so we can get a feel for what, what, is it, what it is that, that we mean by this. Um, because, um, because it needs to be experiential. Um, it, it's both our both the doctrine, the knowledge that we have, and their experience of Christ. And, and there's no more profound representation of the beauty of God than, than he who is the exact representation of, God, of his being, Jesus Christ. So what I want to do is I'm going to read for you a short account from, from the Gospel of Mark um, of Jesus um, be, ha- having his feet anointed um, in, the, in the home of Simon the leper. Um, and I was pointed to this um, by a talk that Todd Stride gave um, at the CCF conference entitled Trauma, Recovery, and the Beauty of God, um, which I'd highly recommend to you. 
um, if that perks your interest. Um, and he did this as well near the end of the talk. He, he referenced this, um, this passage. So here's what I want to do. I, I want to invite you to gaze upon the beauty of Jesus. So just take a moment as I read and turn your mind and gaze upon the beauty of Jesus in this scene. So just take a moment, and you should put your pen or pencil down, and you should just allow Scripture to paint a picture in your heart and your mind, and even be present in the scene that we read, uh, and just fix your eyes on Christ. This is Mark 14. While Jesus was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came in with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor, and they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. So we see, and I invite you to reread it this week. We, we just see quickly, we see his perfection um, in his words and his deeds. Um, it's, it's perfection that has room for this broken woman and for a leper. We see his proportion. You notice that Jesus uh, is extremely gracious and loving and kind to the woman. Um, and yet he doesn't, he doesn't pull back at speaking truth to those who are in the wrong. He's got grace and truth. Um, and then we see the pleasure. Um, how much delight there must have been for this woman. Jesus affirms and protects her. She, he says she did what she could. She says that she will never be forgotten. <laughs> this is an incredible affirmation. Um, think about how much pleasure she had in the beauty of God and that, uh, of Jesus in that scene. Um, and of course, pleasure on another level. Don't, don't you... Don't you take pleasure? Don't you delight in seeing the beauty of Christ in the scene? And gazing upon the one who is perfect, who brings shalom to the house of Simon the leper. And so just, just really quickly, we did over a couple minutes, this, this is the, the activity of the church. This is the kind of community that's formed. Um, when what we just did, when we do that individually, when we do that collectively, when that's our beginning point, when we, we move toward a God who wants to be known and we see his beauty in Jesus Christ, that, that then will make us beautiful. And, and we'll get to that more next week, what that means. But this is, this is what we do, brothers and sisters. We go to the God who wants to be known and we gaze upon his beauty and that forms us into a kind of people that the world desperately needs. I want to invite the, the worship team to come forward. Um, and just take a moment now as they, as they come up, just to quiet your heart before the Lord. 
And then as they lead us into song, I invite you to stand when you're ready and we'll, we'll, we'll worship this beautiful one together.